Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. It's great to see all of you, and we're, we're glad to have you all here this morning. Uh, I hope the weather is as good today as it was yesterday, and we're, we're thankful for the rain to come or that they came, and uh, hopefully we can get some more. We've been going through our series on the book of Romans, and uh, before we get into the text, I want to use an analogy, and I want you to think about something. I know not, not everyone here has been a parent, and maybe not everyone watching online has been a parent, but you can probably imagine what it would be like. But one thing that I, I think always fascinates me about uh, the idea of becoming a parent is for the guy, especially, for the mom, the mom has about a nine-month period of changing and knowing that a change is coming. There is an inevitability of this change is happening to me, and it's almost like a symbol of what's coming in my life. Whereas for the, the, the dad, unless he's uh, eating all the same foods that the, the mom is eating whenever they're having their cravings, unless that's happening, the dad's not necessarily changing as much. But the second that the baby is born, this, this is very true. You are exactly the same person that you were a millisecond before, but you are also completely different than you were a millisecond before. Does that make sense? It's like nothing has changed, but everything has changed. You've gone from, oh, you know what? I feel like going to see a movie tonight. I'm going to go see a movie. To, no, I've actually got to think about, hey, uh, is it okay if I go see a movie and you take care of the baby? Or this, I go from, you know what? I'm going to go work out at 6 a.m. to, oh, man, I don't want to wake up the baby. Or I don't want, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, there's, there's all that side of it. And then the other side of it is, is you immediately have something that you care about immensely that you didn't have before. You've, you've been, nothing's changed. You're the same person. Your, your body is still the same. Your hands are your hands. Your height hasn't changed. But you're completely different. So keep that in mind as we, as we continue. So just to recap part of Romans to get us to caught up to where we are today. We're going to be reading from Romans 7 today. But in Romans 4, Paul makes this bold claim, a very bold claim, that you all and me, we have been made right with God by Christ's faithfulness and His gift. And that if we choose to have faith in Him, that's what makes you right. Nothing that you've earned or done. And this has created a new way for us to live as humans. In Romans 6, Paul talked about how there's two kinds of humanity, two types of human. And one's represented by Adam and by his one choice. That type of humanity is still ruled by sin and eventually death. But now there's a new Adam that came, and by his one choice to die on the cross from you, if you are with him, you are now a part of his humanity, which means you get to live by obedience and grace and love and life. And then Paul, what he tells us is he says that the way we transition and the way we put our faith in Christ and the way we leave our old humanity is that we die in baptism. We die to that old life, and we're born again with Christ. And what's true of Christ is now true of us. Just as he died, we die. And just as he has life, we have life now and in the future forevermore. Paul then, we talked about, he says, when you do that, you trade in your, your old master, your old way of life, because what Paul says is, whether you admit it or not, we all serve a master. We all serve something. And one leads to death and one leads to life. And he says, you've traded in your old master and now you have a new master, Christ, that you follow. And one of the questions we've been wrestling with the last couple weeks, and we're going to keep kind of talking about today, is 
You can imagine that the people reading Paul's letter, and, and Paul's imagining it, they're hearing him and they're saying, so Paul, if you're telling me that it's Christ's faithfulness and his grace that gives us life, what's my incentive to actually live a good life? What's my incentive to not sin anymore? And last Sunday, we discussed how we are all a slave to something. And when we choose to make Christ our new master, it leads us to saying, I want to obey Christ as my master. I want to serve him. And so many Christians at this point, this is where we're getting to to Romans 7. Romans 7 is the chapter that deals the most with this question. So Paul, if you're telling me that Christ is the one that makes us right, and we don't have to follow all these rules anymore to be saved, what was the point of God giving us his law anyway? What was the point of, of him giving us these things to follow in the Old Testament? So if you would turn with me to Romans 7, and we'll read. Today we're just going to be in verses 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. He's in his letter. He's like, I'm talking to you who are experts in the Hebrew law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. That's a bad choice. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. He's using this as an example. So, my brothers and sisters, he's now, instead of the last analogy where it's when the husband dies, now he's saying, so my brothers and sisters, just like you died in baptism, you died to the law through the body of Christ. I want to make this very clear. I mentioned it in class this morning, but I've got to say it again. Throughout the New Testament, anytime we see the phrase, the law, that means a whole lot of stuff. And sometimes we have verses like this. Jesus says, um, where, where does he say? It's in Matthew 5. He says, um, I tell you the truth. Do not anyone, anyone who uh, takes away one jot or tittle of my law is making a mistake because I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. So, so wait, which is it? Paul, is it that the law is good and Jesus came to fulfill it or is the law bad? Here's a classic place where we need to notice when Jesus is talking about fulfilling the law, he is talking about fulfilling the Torah, the first five books of God's promise to be the covenant God of his covenant people. And when here Paul is referring to the law, he's likely referring to all the lists of codes and rules that all these religious teachers have been saying, you've got to do all these things. You remember how the religious teachers get really upset with Jesus whenever he's eating grain on the Sabbath? And they're like, you're breaking the rules. You're breaking the laws. This is kind of where Paul's talking about. He says, you have died to the law through the body of Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death, you died. That you might belong to another, to him who has raised you from the dead. Isn't this so cool? Jesus is saying, you used to be like a woman married to a husband. You're no longer married to that law anymore. You are now, as he says, you belong to another, to him who has raised you from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. So Paul is basically saying, guess what? You have married Jesus Christ now. And he now is the one that is your person that you are bound to. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Um, this, this phrase, and we're going to talk about this idea more later on. When it says, when you were in the realm of the flesh, meaning when you used to be under the reign of the humanity of sin's power, 
The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. When it says the sinful passions aroused by the law, uh, I think Augustine is a famous guy who he, he says, some, he's, he has a line where he says something like, whenever I saw the sign that said, don't steal this fruit, I immediately kind of wanted to take it just to break the rules. You know what I mean? If, if I saw something and then all of a sudden, there's, by the way, this is not my personality because I'm a super duper rule follower. I want everyone to, all my authority figures to like me. But some of you kind of like to bend the rules a little bit, right? And whenever the teacher says like, don't step across this line, some of you really like to put your toe like right there. You mean this line? You know what I mean? And this is part of what he's saying is, Paul is saying, actually, I think because there was the law, there was almost part of you that like kind of wanted to do wrong because you just were like, oh, I, I see what I'm told I'm not supposed to do, and I kind of want it now, and I didn't necessarily want it before. That's, that's maybe an analogy to use. Verse 6, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the first thing, I've, I've already mentioned the law, and I've already talked about it, but the thing that I think is most important and the thing that Paul is working so hard when he's talking about this law conversation is he is saying, and he will say the rest of Romans 7, the law is a gift from God. It's good for you. But it never accomplished making you righteous with God. At no point in the whole span of the Bible did somebody live good enough following the rules of the law in order to say, I am righteous with God, except for Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying this law it never had the power to save you. Remember at the beginning of Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God through Christ for salvation. He's saying Jesus is the power of God to save you. The law did not have that power. If you are under the law, you are still in a world where you are working to earn your salvation. And this is a bad place to be. But if you are under grace, as Christ, as Paul says at the end of, I think it's at the end of uh, 6... Yeah, 614. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are now free and you follow the law, not because you have to, to earn salvation, but because you want to. And so here's the first and, and the biggest point of the whole sermon. And the thing that is the most important thing I think Paul would want us to, to think about, which is the idea that we are now married to Christ. And I want to lean on this marriage analogy. I wanted to use a marriage analogy last week, but I said I'd save it because I thought you'd get too tired of me talking about marriage because I'm going to talk about it today. Do you remember me using that illustration of whenever you become a, a parent, you are the same, but you're completely different? The same is true of marriage. Whenever someone says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, they don't magically become taller. They don't magically become really good at taking care of each other. They're the exact same person, and yet they're completely different because they are now in a covenant with each other, okay? They are made new. Becoming a Christian is a complete change of relationship and allegiance. I don't care what anybody says. If you're engaged with someone, that's great. But the second you are married, there is a change of allegiance to that person. You and that person, as Paul would say, are now one. To become a Christian is to enter into a covenant with Christ in the same way that a husband and a wife enter into a covenant. The Bible is chock full of examples of God saying, I am, your, I am the groom, you are my bride. He loves this covenant illustration. So Paul, you might be asking, if Jesus saves us by grace, not by works, what will stop people from doing whatever they want and whatever they desire? This is the question we've been hitting at every week. And Paul's answer is this. 
Can a husband or a wife do as they choose? No, because they are now bound to each other. It's one of those things where when a marriage happens, you in many ways have given up some of your independence because you are now in a codependence. You with me? You are sacrificing yourself and now you can't just make a decision based on yourself. You have to, as a covenant partner, make a decision based on the other person, right? And guess what? There's a whole heck of a lot of guys that don't want to get settled down because they know that. You know what I mean? There's guys that are like, I don't know if I want to get settled down. I'm, I'm not ready to lose, you know, bro time, you know, playing poker and, and pool. And, and, and I'm going to have to, you know, have a, like a ball and chain. You know what I mean? It's going to hold me back. You've heard the phrase, the old ball and chain phrase. Well, guess what? What Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying here, you used to be under a ball and chain called the law. And you used to work for that and it never could save you. But now you have a new ball and chain and it's Jesus Christ. And you are now married to Christ in a covenant where you no longer are making decisions based on, wow, this is what I desire. This is what I want. But you are making decisions based on him. Now here's where I'm going to flip this whole analogy on its head. Because here's the deal. Everything you're hearing me say, you're hearing and you're thinking, boy, that sure sounds depressing. Are you telling me getting, becoming a Christian means I, I have to get tied down to something? And here's the good news. Here's the good news about marriage, too, for you married people. When you choose to be someone who is willing to let go of yourself for the other person, and your spouse is willing to let go of themselves for you, you will be an incredibly happy person. True happiness and true joy. I've got a great quote for you. This is from uh, Tim Keller in his book on... Uh, Tim Keller's book is called uh, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. He says... Uh, I'm, I've got the quote in here, but this is me writing with a little of his worked in. There is a fear in all marriages that if you completely live to bless and serve the other person, what am I going to get out of it? If you're telling me I wake up every day trying to think of how I could bless them... Boy, that's going to be boring for me, right? That's what you think. The answer is you will get happiness, but not cheap happiness. Happiness through serving others instead of using them for your own gains. Happiness that won't be bad for you. This is Keller. The, it is the joy that comes from giving joy, from loving another person in a costly way, okay? The thing I want you to think about, and the thing I think is so important is, yes, Marrying Christ does mean you lose your freedom and you lose your independence. But now there is also the possibility of experiencing love and intimacy from Jesus Christ. Because of his love, of this love and intimacy, our loss of freedom is a joy, not a burden. I, I want you to picture a person who's the most giving, hospitable person you know. And I want you to think, if that's the person that I get to be around, my life is going to be great because they're always going to be taking care of me. And it's not going to be a burden for me to want to lose myself for that person. I, I, if anything, I couldn't compete with losing myself with how much they're willing to lose themselves for me. You know some people. There are many people in this congregation who are some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. And if you want to try to out-hospitable them, you can't. You know what I mean? But this is, the, this is the competition that we enter into when you enter into the covenant of marriage. To say, I'm going to do everything I can to see my selfishness as the worst thing that could happen to our marriage and my selflessness to be the best thing that could happen to our marriage. And when both of the people do that, what you find is true happiness. 
a competition of laying down your life for the other person. And here's where we come back to the Christ as our spouse analogy. If we please to live, or if we live, I said that backwards, if we live to please the person we're married to, do you think that there's any way you could outlive and outgive to what Christ will give to you and has given to you? No way. There is no, this whole ball and chain analogy, if that's what it's about, sign me up. Give me 20 of them, okay? I want Christ to be my ball and chain with everything. If it means that I'm giving up for him and he's giving up for me. And the good news is we already know. You don't have to guess. Whenever a husband and wife do this, there's still a chance of, I hope you'll do it. There's still a chance of, well, I'm going to be willing to make my life about laying it down for you. And it's going to be great if you'll do the same for me, but I don't know. But guess what? We already know with Christ. He's already done it. There is no wondering. There is no hoping. Will he do it for me? He already has and already does every single day. Whenever, whenever you have a child, that, and that, that question I, I'm, I've, that Paul has said over and over. So if you're telling me I don't have to live this perfect life to go to heaven in order to be with God, but I just have Christ's grace, what's the incentive for me? Now, let me ask this question. You're the father in the hospital room, and you're holding the baby, and you say, do I really have to love this thing? Of course not. You're not defined as the dad because you love this thing. You get to be the dad by loving this thing. You know what I mean? It's not some obligation that we're like, oh, I don't want to. Now, sadly, there's a lot of dads out there in this world that have decided that they don't want to do that, and it's a shame. They're missing out. They've given up the right to get to be that. However, thankfully, there are many and many in this room who have said, no, 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 I, it's the greatest honor of my life to have this as something I owe my life to and I have to lose my freedom for. And it's the same opportunity we have with Christ. We choose, as Paul would say, you are no longer married to the law thinking it's going to be the thing that saves you. You are now married to Christ. And yes, that means you're going to lose some independence and some freedom. And you're going to have to follow the way of life that Christ would want you to live. But guess what? It is the best thing that you could possibly have happen for you. It is, a, it is a life of losing freedom that leads to joy and happiness and, and, and the best life you could possibly want. And so my second and final point, and the thing that I think is really worth mentioning, is I love how it says in, in chapter 7, verses, in verse 4, he says, So my brother and, sis- and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, that you might marry the one who raised you from the dead. In order, and then he says this, you should marry Christ in order that we might bear fruit for God. So this is the second point. So we might bear fruit for God. I think it is crucial, and I love the way, I love the, way the Bible does this constantly. For Christ and God, what he did for us and what we do for Christ, Christ finds a way over and over and over again in the Bible to always bring it back to the reason why I want to do this with you and I want us to be in this covenant is because it will bear fruit that blesses other people. We so often make salvation and God and the Bible this super personal thing that the only reason we're in here is so that me and mine are going to heaven. And yet throughout scripture, God makes it perfectly clear. He says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will bless others. It's always for others. In Psalms 1, one of the most famous passages, it says, a blessed person is like a person who is planted by a tree, planted by streams of water that bears fruit. Trees don't eat their own fruit. You know what I mean? 
A tree bearing fruit isn't for its own benefit. A tree bearing fruit is for others. And so in all of this, I want you to never forget and never lose sight of the fact that part of what it means for us to be in this new relationship with Christ, and Paul thankfully brings it up. I'm kind of switching gears here from the marriage analogy, but it's so crucial that we stop and point out any time that we see that it says part of the reason why God wants to bring you from life or from death to life is so that you can bear fruit for God for other people to see that and to bless them. And we need to never lose sight of that. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this law. And then soon we'll get to be in one of the best chapters in the whole Bible, Romans 8. Um, I appreciate y'all thinking through this. I appreciate y'all studying with me along this route. And here's, here's what I want to encourage you. If ever at any point you lose track of man, Drew is really in the weeds on this Roman series. I'm really not sure. Wait, where, where's the point we're getting at? I want you to always come back to the fact that what Paul is doing, especially in this section right here, is he's trying to say, you have been given this free gift from Christ, and I want you so badly to let that turn you into a new person, this new way of living life. Not because you've got to live that way to make it to heaven, but because it's so good for you. Just like with the marriage analogy, do you have to do everything I just described to be a good husband or a good wife? No. You, there's tons of us, myself included. I can't tell you the number of times I come home and my first thought is selfish. My first thought is, boy, I really hope Catherine, you know, picked up everything so I don't have to stress about it. Or my first thought is selfish of, boy, I hope Catherine doesn't mind if I just sit down and do whatever the heck I want for the next few hours. I have plenty of moments like that. But what I want you to know is if I didn't and I chose to be selfless, it would be better for my life. And this is the invitation of Christ and the invitation of God. You don't have to live this new humanity, but you get to. You've died to that old life. You've been born to this new humanity. And it's an invitation for all of us. If any of you watching or online would like to talk more about dying to your old life and baptism and coming to your new life, we'd love to talk to you. We're going to have elders that are standing at the doors too. If you have any prayer requests, and uh, anything that you need while we stand and while we sing this song.